You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're in the middle of uh, the series going over through the uh, seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus' letters to them. It's been a great, great series and study of the scripture so far from the very beginning when Jesus appeared to John before giving these words and but revealing who he truly is and as we were compared to what we try to make him to be um, to the very first church and the importance of prioritizing our first love. A good kind of heart check for us as a church. Um, again, really appreciated the testimonies coming from videos and even last week um, I overheard from someone who's only been with us for the last two months, uh, but they walked away when I had a coffee meeting with them this, um, uh, this uh, uh, previous week uh, saying that they really feel like God is at, at work here um, and how much uh, these the specific letters to the church has really spoken to their hearts. And so now we are here at the church of Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira in chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, uh, their strengths and weaknesses are the inverse of the very first church, those of Ephesus. Uh, this church is strong in love uh, compared to, again, that being a weakness and uh, with Ephesus. Uh, and, uh, but they're strong in love as evidenced in the works that we're going to read. But it lacks discernment and it tolerates sin, um, especially as we're going to read here uh, sexual sin. And so let's read God's word, knowing that it speaks to us um, and that it pierces uh, both flesh and spirit. Uh, Verse 18 of chapter 2, God's word says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This right here is repeated from chapter 1 when Jesus revealed himself to John. And these are the descriptions of Jesus Christ um, that was needed specifically for this church, but then also to us who may be dealing with the same things that this church dealt with. We'll get to that in a moment. First, we see verse 19, Jesus's commendation. Uh, As we had said in the past, uh, there's something that he encourages. Uh, Often there's something that he is going to command and he's going to give counsel in. Um, And so the commendation, what he commends him with is verse 19. I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So right off the bat, what he's encouraging this church with is you read here, he says, I know your works and such works or fruit includes your love, which I'm assuming that's for Jesus and for others, your faith, believing without seeing, even maybe in the midst of trials and hard times and certain circumstances, your service, which is putting others before self. And so actions coming out in such service. And then he says, your patient endurance. Jesus says, how you persevere through such hard times and trials. And I don't know why, I I love this one, that your latter works exceed the first. That it does not matter where they were when they started, um, but it's what you have done as of lately. Um, Which, again, this could be Jesus speaking to some of you in the season that you are in as well. I know such works, your love, faith, service, patient, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Quite a commendation here. But then we see in verses 20 through 23, both concern and command, and then for whatever reason, 
with this church some consequences as well when they did not listen to the commands given by Jesus and as he addresses such concerns. Read with me verses 20 through 23. And church, I'm going to warn you, this is what happens when we do, we can't skip certain verses. Uh, um, This is tough, this tough language. And so again, just take heed to what Jesus wants to say to us and warn us of certain things and protect us and give us good counsel. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, Two things that has been mentioned a couple times already in the churches, but as we see here, it's expounded on a little bit more and emphasized. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Now, before we get into this, and there's a lot to get into here, I do want to go back to the one verse before and remind you. In verse 19, these are people, a church who Jesus just got done commending for such works as their love, their faith, their service, and their endurance. This shows that these are people, a church, that did have certain virtues, certain fruit as Christians that we should display and that many of you display. And one has to then ask, how does it turn from that and what was described in verse 19 to this in verses 20 through 23? And there's one word that sticks out to me. One word is tolerating. They tolerated a false prophet who was teaching and seducing God's servants. That's what it says there. Look at verse 20. Teaching and seducing my servants, they tolerated one who did this to sin. The same sins called out in the last church with sexual immorality, and again, playing around with idolatry in certain compromises. But it started in how they tolerated certain sin before it got worse. And specifically, as it is mentioned and then explained, this spirit or the reference of Jezebel. And with that comes sexual immorality. Uh, First time I heard the name of Jezebel was not in church. I didn't grow up in church. Um, and uh, uh, so the first time kind of Bible study that I heard Jezebel was as a new Christian already in high school. And as soon as it came up, I was like, hey, I used to listen to a song in middle school that had that in the word, okay? And it was by this German-European industrial heavy metal band, heavy, heavy metal band, okay? It was this band called KM FDM, and they had a song called Juke Joint Jezebel, And I remember like, oh, I used to like that when I was in middle school. Maybe they're a Christian band. I went back and listened to the lyrics. 
not a Christian band, you guys, okay? I'm like, oh, I heard this. Oh, maybe they're warning of certain things. I look back and I'm like, oh, no. They were definitely saying this is a good thing, okay? The expression of the sexual immorality and the individualism of these ways. And of course, we have heard that word, that name before, both in church as we read, and Jesus mentions it here, but of course, it's referencing uh, the Old Testament prophetess. Um, but it is something that is kind of heavy in culture. Um, it, is be, it, it is expressed as, you know, a certain type of woman or a certain type of attitude, mindset, and spirit. And honestly, like, I've seen this a little bit on social media. Like, people try to cancel people when they use this word, when they use this term, right? And, and as much as, like, they're trying to cancel the term and word, you also don't meet many people naming their daughters Jezebel still, Right? Like, we know there's some type of negative connotation to that. Who is Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel that many reference according to this scripture that Jesus says himself? Well, again, if you're somewhat new to church, you haven't read in the Old Testament or seen the other references, Jezebel was the daughter of a priest of the false god Baal in the Old Testament. You find her story in the first Kings. And she followed in her father's footsteps. Um, she was uh, she who who would stop at nothing to get what she wanted. And she ended up marrying, seducing, and marrying the king of Israel, Ahab. And with that marriage came hundreds of her priests of Baal um, and worship of Baal into Israel. Baal was the false worship, a cult where the worship of that false god. Almost always, if you look it up, almost always involved something sexual. And so in Baal temples, shrine prostitutes performed sex scenes, uh, sex scenes, and it was believed that more sex brought fertility and riches and prosperity. So again, it was a part of their worship and their culture. And so anyone, anything that one can think of as sexual sin and permitted was almost required in the worship of such false gods. Jezebel... Uh, ended up ruling the kingdom over her husband, Ahab. And one of the first acts that she put into order was the extermination, the killing of the prophets of the Lord. And you read about that in 1 Kings 18. And as she did that and, went and, and uh, led toward that way, she then would also set up altars to Baal. Of course, what she's also famous for is her kind of rivalry and battle with God's prophet Elijah at that time, who in that time, famously stood up to her, risking his life to show her deceit and her lies. And so knowing that's the background of who Jezebel is in the Old Testament, Jesus uses this very well-known example as the type of person or spirit that can lead the modern church away from him. Just like she led and seduced Ahab and Israel with a following of false gods and sexual sin. And as we talked about at Night of Worship on Wednesday, we know, we know we can easily worship other things over Jesus Christ. And because we had no children ministry on Wednesday night and had many who were seven and above in such services. I didn't mention and talk about this, and by no means am I going to go in detail or getting crude or anything of the sort. We know sex is a God for many in the world today. And not just in the world, but we know and see as we read here, we can start tolerating sexual sin in the church as well. As it says here, 
I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Refusal to repent of clear sexual sin is a serious thing within the church. We know this because of what we believe, a theology of the body and sex. We know this because what we believe about Imago Dei, how each and every person was created in the image of God. Yes, us, but then also others. We believe soul, spirit, and body are one. And in that, the body is, according to 1 Corinthians, a temple for the Lord. We believe this because of what we believe about marriage, how the two, man and woman, becomes one, and how that represents Everything from salvation to covenant in the gospel. We believe it because of what the scripture says about sex. That it's a gift from the Lord and it does have good purposes. Purposes for bond and intimacy that both husband and wife can be able to have an experience uniquely given and gifted to them. To the gift of children and family as part of that fruit. To gift of everything from pleasure to protection. We believe that this is a good gift But when not done the way God has instructed and given, it is sin. And again, we start tolerating such sin. I remember, I think I've used this example before, but I remember a few years back when I saw a kind of more well-known pastor on social media share and tweet out this, this statement. Sex outside the boundaries of marriage dehumanizes people. That's what they said. Sex outside the boundaries of marriage dehumanizes people. And right after this pastor shared this on social media, he got slammed and critiqued for it. And what I was surprised was he got slammed and critiqued for it more by professing Christians than those outside of the faith. He was attacked that that worldview and that particular statement was a part of the negatives of purity culture and that consensual sex is not dehumanizing. They'd make an argument and say that, yes, it it can be sin, but it's not dehumanizing. You can't go that far. But listen, church, it is. Because that's what sin does. Take sexual sin out. Any type of sin is going to dehumanize us as imago Dei. And if we don't believe that or think that or teach that, again, that is tolerating it. And when I say that, I'm not saying that there hasn't been certain legalism and problems with purity culture. I agree, and I've seen that. It's actually why and how I changed how, uh, when I was in student ministry, how we would teach about it. But too many are throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And there's truths in the danger and overreach of certain aspects and things in purity culture. But sadly, many are throwing out the Bible's Countercultural ethics and truths regarding sex outside of marriage with those dangers. We see and know we live in a culture that's oversaturated and obsessed with it. Some of that has become normal, some of it seems pretty extreme, and again, some of it is even accepted or done in the dark within the church. And when I say that, again, can't go without a message with some of this, it talks about this without mentioning the the epidemic of pornography, how addicting porn is, how it changes the brain, how it affects the brain like drugs, and that's backed up by science, psychologists, and even government. Why consuming it becomes an escalating behavior and how it soon affects all types of different areas. 
and how it almost always gets more extreme, how it warps our ideas about sex created by God and even fuels sex trafficking. But something that, again, is tolerated just because we never reach out for help, get accountability, and repent. We are to not tolerate any of this type of sin. It's easily sad to do, but instead we must fight it. We must repent of both tolerating and the participation in it. And that tolerating and eventual participation, it always will lead to some type of deconstruction or even what we've talked about before, de-churched. Whether it's people walking away because of the hypocrisy that they see or them just joining into the sin and recognizing, I can't do this and be part of the body anymore. As you read about these consequences, here is a warning to the church here in verse 22 through 23. I want to read a quote about some of that from a professor, Jeffrey A.D. Wima, from um, Wycliffe College in Toronto. He wrote this about those, that harsh language and the consequences that we read about in verses 22 through 23. The Jezebel and the Thyatiran church will be thrown into a sickbed which will similarly lead to her ultimate death. So also her spiritual children will die by means of plague and pestilence. The reference to their death likely involves another well-known allusion to the Old Testament Jezebel and her children. Her children were killed because of her sin. Seventy princes, sons of the wicked Ahab, were decapitated and their heads were placed into baskets, then later sent to Jezreel and placed in two piles at the entrance of the city gate. In this way, Jehu brought the greatest dishonor to the wicked house of Ahab and wiped it out in 2 Kings 10. The negative consequence for Jezebel and her followers in Thyatira is indeed severe, but it sends a powerful message. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I will give to each one according to your works. Again, church, there are consequences as we see with that disobedience to God's command and to not listening to his concern. There's consequences. I was heartbroken, heartbroken over some of the pop culture news and media that came out over this week. Um, when I, this will show a little bit of my age, but when I was uh, middle school, high school, the largest pop star sensation was not Taylor Swift, but instead it was Britney Spears. And although when she came to the scene when I was like in high school, she was kind of deemed young, innocent. She had a lot of talk about purity rings like every other young celebrity at that time. But soon in the early 2000s, she embraced what everyone made her out to be and said about her before she even said it about herself. And she became kind of like the picture and the voice of sexual freedom and individualism in that early 2000s. And again, without going into all of the details of everything that took place from then to now, and much that has, whether it be sin she chose or sin that was done against her, there was news that she's coming out with a memoir, a book, in like a few weeks or a few months. And of course, certain press was able to get parts of it or the whole thing to read and review right now. And one of the heartbreaking news that came out of that was her first original boyfriend, another pop icon and sensation at the time, ended up having an abortion. 
And as that news came out and became, again, worldwide news about this and that, lots of differing opinions of that. And with that, one of the most heartbreaking things about that, not just in the act of itself with the abortion, but with what my opinion she said about it. I want to read to you what she said as I believe it really emphasizes these consequences of sexual sin. About that abortion, she said, I kept crying and sobbing until it was all over. It took hours, and I don't remember how it ended, but I do. Twenty years later, remember the pain of it and the fear. That's not going to help with the pro-choice message there. That at one point in time, still popular in pop culture, defended and then also accused is saying over 20 years later, I still, fa- still feel the hurt and pain of this. As we see and read here, there's consequences of both to- tolerating and participation and sin. And while on this subject and before moving on to the scripture, let me say this as well. This is also why sexual abuse is rightfully and so greatly condemned. I mean, nobody disagrees with that. You're not going to have two sides and two political sides that's not going to say this is horrible and needs to be punished and deserves justice, right? And that should be the case. But people will also act that sex is no big deal, but they think it's only a big deal when it's forced. Because why is that a big deal? Because, again, God created it that way, to be special and to be spiritual. And, of course, we all know that when abuse happens, we see effects, consequences. There should be justice. We want justice there. We agree upon that. But we cannot throw out the consequences of what is even consensual or seemingly private sexual sin as well. God created it to be spiritual and special for a reason. Again, hard words like some of the other words Jesus used here for the latter churches, but there's counsel and hope. And beyond, again, that topic, when it comes to any type of sin, any type of tolerating of sin, as this mentions, idolatry as well. And look at the end of verse 23. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus, who has the eyes like a flame of fire that was mentioned before the letters to the church, but then re-referenced here in the beginning for this church, is he who searches mind and heart. He sees through our masks and fakeness. He knows what we truly think and what we feel in our emotions and heart. What you're doing in the dark, such works and actions, as it says there, will catch up. And his counsel here is him reminding us when knowing such motives, even when we don't, he reveals it, and that's good. That's grace. Yes, as we covered and read, consequences are there. As Jesus says, I'll give each according to their works. But ultimately, when we are starting to believe the lies of Satan, 
over the truths of God and all areas of sin and rebellion, we need both such counsel. We need one who sees past the lies and to the heart, one who allows us to start to feel certain consequences so we can recognize our need to change in order to embrace and receive the change. There is hope. Ultimately, when we have fallen so far, when we believe the lies of Satan and he's helping expose and reveal truth for us to respond to, we know that truth can speak into lies. Will you listen to this testimony again from someone in our church who had experienced and seen others believe in Satan's lies and then believed in Satan's lies for a season as well? And then what happened when she ended up repenting and believing and embracing truth? Will you watch this video? The Lord promises, even when we stray, that he will draw us up from the pit of destruction and the miry bog and set our feet upon the rock, making our steps secure. I followed the lies of Satan in my life for quite a time, um, over 10 years. Even though I had an idyllic childhood where my parents loved me and took me to church and nurtured me in the fear and admonition of the Lord, um, eventually, the idol of basketball took over our lives. My dad was a highly successful high school basketball coach, and with subsequent moves, our friend group changed, as did the church attendance. Ultimately, the idolatry led to my dad leaving my mom and abandoning me when I was 19 and in college. What took place afterwards was really my attempt to recreate the family I had lost, but doing it on my own. My own idolatries came center stage. I pursued and majored in, in college, not subject matter, but sorority, cheerleading, and trying to be popular. All of this was uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, taking in the lies of Satan that the world and all it had to offer could replace that hole in my heart. I once even prayed to God, not your will, but my will this time. And tragically, he answered my prayer. He gave me what I thought I wanted which was not really what I wanted at all. And it led to great devastation, great sinful consequences. It was only after a despairing season of about 10 years that I realized my life wasn't working and decided I needed to go to church. When I did that, the pastor came to my home and challenged me to come back to church. That was at the beginning of the summer and I said, I'm not ready. And he said, well, I'll come back at the end of the summer and see where you are then. He was faithful, and so was I. I returned to church, and my mother went also. And we both rededicated our lives to the Lord at that point in time. We became um, very active in a Sunday school class and women's prayer ministry, where we gained spiritual direction and discipline and more discernment as to the Lord's ways, reading his word and praying. Gradually, things began to improve 
As Joel 2.25 says, the Lord restored the years to me the wormwood had eaten. Though this world is never easy, God blessed me beyond belief and showed me that he gives second, and in my case, even third chances to people who repent and who are restored to blessing after a season of judgment. Through the church and other influences, I met Jeff Parr, and he and I have now been married for 30 happy years. And through that same prayer group, the Lord brought us the miracle of Christopher in our lives. As a footnote, during the last 10 years of my dad's life, he also walked with Christ. Hallelujah. Appreciate and love about her testimony is how she had shared, even if it's second, third. For some of you, you may feel like it's the 20th or 100th time, but God gives us opportunity to repent and be restored. And as we read here, Jesus says, I gave time to repent, but they refused. And so somehow, some way, we have to recognize in the midst of those lies, we are lying to ourselves now when we refuse to change, turn the other way, and repent. And so in the midst of this council, and you heard the fruit of what happens when we do repent, but in the midst of this council that Jesus gives, saying, I'm he who searches mind and heart, give each according to their works. I use both of those for certain purposes. He says in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. And listen, the counsel to receive here for both those who have repented and are restored and changed to those who they may not struggle with tolerating and participating in certain sin as much. You need to know there's no other burden than to hold fast what you have until I come. I know you read this and you probably ask like I did, what exactly are the deep things of Satan here? When you read about that in most commentaries, they say more than likely this again, is the spirit of Jezebel deceiving others into thinking they know better than God. Like Satan as the snake in the garden with the tree of knowledge and the actual Jezebel in the Old Testament who, again, would prop up the worship of Baal as more divine and better than the worship of the one true God. These are the deep things of Satan. And Jesus' eyes distinguish sincere believers from those who abandon God's truth to search elsewhere. Deceptive promises of secret spiritual knowledge or, again, Pleasure outside of the Lord. For those, it says here, that doesn't, though, struggle in this way, you don't need this burden. It's a heavy burden that many have to carry, but hold fast to him until he comes. And to those, again, dealing with all such weight, what maybe shame that seems to attach itself to any type of tolerating or participation of sin. 
Again, I know it seems like a burden, and it continues. But listen to the last counsel of verse 26 through 29. 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 26 through 27 shows as you endure with the power of the one who has conquered, knowing you have the ability to conquer yourself and to keep Jesus's works until the end. As mentioned in the council of previous churches, you are a child of God, but you're not just a child of God as enough as that should be. You have the bread of life. You have a new identity in name as we learned last week. But in and with Jesus, you are also now co-conquerors with him. And I believe this is intentional here, especially when as much as this passage emphasized and focused on tolerating certain sin with the spirit of Jezebel. Because often we feel so defeated and enslaved to sin, and specifically sexual sin, and you must be reminded that Jesus has conquered it, has said here, and it is yours. You are a co-heir and a co-ruler with Jesus Christ. You've been given authority over sin, Satan, and death with Jesus. What I almost always say when talking about the resurrection of Jesus and when sharing the gospel, you have that. Satan has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The consequence of sin, which is death, in the resurrection, he's defeated it. And you are co-conqueror with that. Not because of anything you have done or will do, but because of what he has done for you. And so when you believe that and you feel like, I can never give this up. Why do I keep on going back? I have, I have conviction even when it comes to refusal to repent. Is that me? No, embrace. You have the power of the resurrection. not because of anything we've done, but what he's done for us. Just must be willing to repent, to believe, and receive. And then verse 28, as we conclude, and I will give him the morning star, who is Jesus. The morning star, of course, is Christ himself, Israel's ruler and rescuer, who is foreseen when this was first mentioned in the Bible, Jesus as that morning star. It was mentioned by an unwilling seer and prophet, by the name of Balaam in Numbers 24, a prophet in the Old Testament whose heart was not ultimately good with God, eventually showed his true colors by betraying Israel, leading them astray. But before doing so, he admitted he knew the Messiah, Jesus, was to come. And when referring to him as that morning star, he said in Numbers 24, 17, I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Many also believe, and this reference is talking about his resurrection, and of course the star that rises in the morning. My favorite part of this being mentioned, of given to us in verse 28, the morning star Jesus Christ, is that this is the same label that's repeated one last time in the very last chapter of the Bible. 
and alongside some of the very last verses. And I believe is appropriate in how we shall feel when facing such struggles and needing to endure in them and being reminded of this. Look at Revelation 22, 16 through 17. Again, this is only a couple verses before the very last words of Scripture. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. What I love about this and how it connects to this church right here with the reference of the morning star, but then also at the end is where he says to those who's thirsty, those who are hungry, those who are burdened, much like what the tolerating and accepting of sin (laughs) makes us feel. He says, come, come to me. And he says, those who desire take the water of life without price. And again, we talk about the price that seems to be paid with so much of sin. And there's now no more price to pay. As we sang and we believe with our heart and we worship, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Come, those who are heavy burdened, those who feel stuck in shame, those who feel enslaved by such sin that starts in tolerating and then turns into partaking and participation. Come. And as we believe and say that, we say come to be freed right now, to be that co-heir and conqueror with Christ who has defeated sin, Satan, and death, but also come, Lord Jesus, here today. We know there's going to be a once and for all defeat of sin, Satan, death, and ushering of the new heavens and earth. And we are freed, we are forgiven, and we are co-rulers with Christ. Believe that as we sing that this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Even some of the hard things. As you use that as one who described himself, who searches the mind and heart. That even in the midst of seasons and times of paying the consequences, you can use that as grace for our eyes to be open and for us to truly, in what feels like finally, repent and turn from sin and embrace you as that one who saves us, forgives us, and frees us, that has defeated it once and for all, that gives us those second, third, hundred chances, and for us to hold fast what you have until you come back. You are the morning star that brings new light and life and things that seem dead and things that seem to kill and hurt others. And God... You ask us to come into that. Thank you. Thank you. I pray for whoever you're speaking to that needs this, and that they will speak to you to sing this with all their heart, 
They'll speak to other leaders, community group leaders, disciplers, pastors, anybody that's involved in their life. So, Lord, that they can be able to embrace the truths that are given, the counsel, as you ask us to come to you. We thank you again for this in your word. And now we sing and worship you in light of it. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.